favor. Their history was also filled with many stories of trials and testings and seasons of oppression. That the people of God were quite acquainted with evil and suffering. They learned that belonging to God required loving him with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and strength. And and to fail to humbly keep his covenant was very costly. The people of God were well aware of the heavy disciplined hand of the Almighty One. The chosen people, they understood what it was like to believe in an all-powerful God who's actively, consistently demonstrating his goodness in their lives. Yet for 400 years prior to this moment of hope, after the prophet Malachi, no one in the whole nation of Israel has heard a single word from God. Silence. It seemed as if everything they knew about God Everything they believed about God, everything they hoped about God, seemed to have come to a close in which things were certainly not what they believed they ought to be. The spiritual life of God's people had lost its glory. The flame of God's presence had begun to almost burn out. The temple of God was being defiled. The priesthood was driven by simply motions and show. And the promise of God had been somehow replaced by the demands and the dreams or the drama of a cold and dead religion. The first thing we want to see when we think about the hope of Christmas is Christmas is a story of how God has come with a promise to restore. Christmas is a season to once again rekindle even with our own lives. That God has a plan and purpose that is so much bigger than simply getting through the next day. God has a desire, a promise, numerous places in scripture where restoration is the primary theme. To put his favor and blessing upon his people again. And how the promises of God can become living realities. Especially how God's grace and his truth could be once again experienced by common people who seem to have lost hope but maintain a dream that God is who he really claimed to be. These things began to rekindle a sense of hope and expectation among the people. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4, simply one of those examples in which Jesus kind of begins his ministry communicating that in essence, in summarization, this is why he came. It's a message of hope. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Christmas is the story of about God's restoration of the beginning elements of hope. That there is one who is greater than life. There is one who is greater than the hardships of life. There's one who is looking down upon his people and he wants to bless his people once again. Christmas is a time where hope is rekindled or begins to stir that God is exactly who 
he's supposed to be. We may not have experienced it for years. Well, the people of God seem to be without this presence of favor, but it's going to return. At the time of Jesus' birth, God's spirit was moving in in many unique ways. He was stirring among the people again, and he was generating his own kind of anticipation and enthusiasm. And even though the majority of God's chosen people were seemingly struggling with everyday burdens, they were struggling with their spiritual relationship with God, yet they seemed to have a longing and a desire that once again God would visit his people. The Roman oppression was heavy. The taxes were great. This feeling that a Messiah, a Christ, the Savior, he's going to come. They knew these things. Well, again, we have two examples in Scripture found in Luke chapter 2 of a kind of remnant that was kind of placed uniquely among the people of God, that God had preserved people to to somehow be used in the rekindling of a dream or an anticipation that God is going to put his goodness upon his people again. Somehow there's an inner stirring in the hearts of those closest to God in which he uses people to express It's going to happen again. Luke chapter 2, we find in verses 25 uh, through 28. Now, Jesus has just been born. It's the eighth day after his birth. He is to be circumcised in, in the temple and presented to the Lord in verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was a righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he has seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, O sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Again, we have a second example as we read on in uh, verse 36. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanael of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Christmas is a time in which there's stories, there's accounts, there's people that somehow had this inner expectation, whether it was divinely and prophetically given to them or is simply a working of the Spirit to bring about an understanding. Christmas is about hope. It's about a hope that somehow all the things that God uh, was ever believed to be, that he indeed will do his great and glorious work again. Christmas begins 
with a message of hope. Now, a key factor in the hope of Christmas is the beauty of many of the hidden promises of God's word. So again, we sense a stirring, but there was also, um, as Gloria shared about in Rebecca Cox overseas, that somehow people are drawn to scripture because God is in the connecting business. God is the one that enlightens these words and brings life to these words. And so often when we think of Christmas, we think of the promises in God's word. What gives us hope is that God will indeed be everything he's taught us to be. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Book of Isaiah will begin looking at many of the the uh, messages or the scriptures that give us our Christmas carols. And so as you go shopping, you, you hear the tunes playing. You hear the words being sung. There's a rekindling of the opportunity for hope when we recognize some of the richness of these promises. In Isaiah chapter 7, and we look at verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Many songs that we continue to use, we little choruses put together about Emmanuel, that God is among us. That in the babe of Christ, there is a divine person. And his majesty, though it seems as if it's hidden for the season of life, we know he is God. He is the one sent to live and dwell and and die even among us. That God has this plan and purpose and that rekindles a hope among the people. Christmas as well is a time to remember that that God's plan is so much bigger than simply just showing up in chapter 9. We look at verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah, chapter 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From this time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Christmas is a season of hope. It's a time in which the word of God and the hidden messages that are are tucked away throughout Scripture, they come alive, they fit together, and they begin to give us an expectation of the goodness and favor of God returning once again his people. Let's jump back to chapter 1 in Isaiah because this is sort of tied together with the Matthew account where Jesus has come to be the one, the Savior of the world, who takes away the sins of humanity. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Isaiah is loaded with truths about the coming Savior, which set the tone for hope that God indeed 
will come and restore his people. Such a rich heritage among the people of God of stories and testimonies about the power of God manifesting himself and the deliverance of God taking them out of Egypt and the promises that God has a land of milk and honey, that these lay the fabric of what keeps our faith moving forward when life doesn't seem to always be so sweet. We keep our faith and confidence that God is who he not only has been in the past, but he's been today and he will be in the future. Our confidence at Christmas is one of hope that God wants to do something unique or fresh or new again in each and every one of our lives. Let's turn uh, back now to Luke chapter 1. We can look at uh, uh, so many other scriptures that allude to the fabric of what keeps the hope alive among God's people. But let's turn now to back to the original story in Luke chapter 1. We want to begin by reading verses 31 through 37 once again. The angel speaks to, to Mary, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you want to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. If you didn't notice, many of those phrases are the promises we alluded to, at least some of them, in the book of Isaiah and other places in Scripture. So obviously Mary was probably rather familiar with some of these promises herself. And you could imagine the humble response to sink. All those promises have something to do with me. The sweetness of Christmas is that what God is doing all the way around the world has something to do with every single one of us. And that promise is not simply about something big God will do way out there. It's something big he wants to do right here. How will this be, Mary asked the angel since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. Mary realizes the impossibility that she could be pregnant without having relations with the man she loved. It's impossible that her, her uh, uh, Elizabeth could conceive because she's well past the age of bearing children. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. Christmas is a season of hope. It's a season of miracles. It's a season of expectation that God is not limited by life. He's not limited by the challenges we face. He's not limited even by the complexity of our sin. He's not limited by anything that we could call a limiting factor. God's grace is so much bigger. Christmas is a time of hope because it believes in God and what God wants to accomplish and what God is able to fulfill. Christmas might be a time of discouragement. We might feel like we are well familiar with our failures and our sin and our reluctancy to trust him. Yet Christmas is a season of hope because God 
wants to demonstrate to his people, including you and I, that he is good. Hope is rekindled among a people when we recognize that God has this unique desire to demonstrate that you and I are his treasured possession. Again, we look at numerous scriptures. We return back to Isaiah to consider that regardless of the trials and challenges you and I may face, it does not minimize God's power to bless. Look at Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. We tend to to size up the potential power of God by the circumstances we may face. We might feel as if things are going well, that God is strong. We may feel as if things are not going so well, and we wonder about his goodness and love. We we tend to measure the the, uh, limitations of our faith, sometimes based upon the circumstances of our life. Some of us are going through some enormous challenges and trials and hardships. Isaiah 41, I trust, might minister to us, beginning with verse 1. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, and formed you, O Israel, fear not. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's important to recognize that the thread throughout Scripture is that there is a God who not only is fully capable of accomplishing things so much greater than we can imagine. But he's a God who specializes in personal touch and personal blessings and personal favor upon our lives. And therefore Christmas is a season of hope. It's the hope that the goodness of God will return once again. The favor of God will rest upon his people. It's a season when the candle reminds us of hope. That there's one who is bigger and greater than what you and I go through. We put our hope not simply in what you and I can do or what you and I have done or anything else. Our confidence is he is our hope. Another truth that's regardless of the obstacles or the failures that you and I might face is that God has a purpose, and that purpose will prevail prevail regardless of what obstacles come that way, including even our own tendency to fail to please God. Isaiah chapter 55. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 55. And we'll look at verses uh, 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. When we think in terms of the favor of God and we think about 
the purpose and plan of God is that God wants to bless his people. That's that covenant agreement that we've talked about for several months. And the challenge you and I face as covenant-keeping people, those that walk in a relationship with God, is sometimes we don't always see the blessings equivalent to what we believe. Christmas is a season, a fresh reminder that God has not changed. He may take us through experiences. He may take us through paths that we may not fully understand or never even understand. But one thing is sure, Christmas is a season that he reminds us once again to keep our faith, to keep our trust, to keep our confidence. Because in spite of what has happened or brought us to this point, God isn't limited by what we call limitations. He isn't bound by certain abilities. He, he, he can far extend above whatever you could ask or imagine. He's capable of doing uh, far against anything that we could conceive or even grasp of. God is not limited by even our imaginations. One more thought we need to recognize that ultimately the great blessing is particularly when we feel as if we're disqualified for God's favor. When we feel as if maybe we have sinned in unthinkable fashions or we may feel as if we have not yielded ourselves as we promised to yield or whatever that limitation might be. Let's look at Lamentations chapter 3. We go to Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, uh, and then into Lamentations, the following book. In chapter 3, we want to look at uh, verses 21. We'll start with 19. 3, uh, 19, and read down through uh, 25. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I called to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the ones who seek him. We come back humbly to God, not because we feel as if we're worthy, but because of what he has done for us, that's what establishes our words. He loves us in spite of all the doings and all the makeups of our life, but it's Christmas that has hope once again that the reason Jesus came is to restore us, is to renew our lives, is to bless us once again. That's the, the hope of Christmas, is that God would do something unique and special once again in our hearts and in our lives. Let's turn back in conclusion in Luke chapter 1, back to the original story we read. As we think in terms of the ultimate decision that he wants us to take out of the scriptures, the, the meat of what his teaching is all about is in Luke chapter 1. We look at verse 38, and then we'll drop down to 45. Luke chapter 1, verse 38 Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Verse 45. 
Elizabeth says to her, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. There's nothing like holy surrender. We realize that Christmas is a hope that offers us a new beginning. But I trust that Christmas is the hope that when we come back to God, that he might put his full favor upon our lives. We know that God can be extremely gracious and kind to us when we fall far short of pleasing to him. But his purpose and plan at Christmas is that our hope would be transformed into a firm resolve in our commitment to Christ. We don't simply have a hope that is sort of vague. We have a hope that stands on promises. We have a hope that God not only is who we believed he ought to be, but we have found in his word that he teaches us exactly who he truly is. Mary was willing to respond that what the truth states, she's willing to let truth be a part of her life. And that's the encouragement to each of us as we approach this Christmas season that our hope would be uh, really solidified within the purpose and plan of God and the favor of God, but especially in the word of God. That's what gives us hope, that we have promises that we can truly rest upon and look at and hold and place our confidence. Let's pray. Lord, we journey through life and we realize that through this life that there's some things that seem to fit so well in our faith. We pray and we get answers. We believe and things change. We trust and things prove to be so beneficial. Yet life has its own unique twists and turns. The tempter comes and intrudes. And not only the tempter comes, but our thoughts begin to wander and the circumstances of life begin to be in turmoil. And our faith sometimes takes detours. We get distracted. We get deceived. We get discouraged. We're all pulled to pieces. Pray, O oh God, this Christmas our hope would find an anchor in you. Bring us back, we pray, as a church and as a people. We commit ourselves to you and pray that our confidence might be not that simply Christmas itself has any magic, but the Christ. May you be the center of this season, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and have one fantastic day.